This morning, we continue our influence series here at Parkview, and our influence series is a time of the year where we step back and we invite people into our context who have shaped our ministry by the ministry that they do. And today, our speaker, Joe Saxton, has shaped what we do in life groups and discipleship ministry at Parkview, and after she speaks, you will understand why. Joe Saxton is a Nigerian Londoner who lives currently in Minnesota, but is originally from Sheffield, England, a place where only 2% of the population are Christian. She is a church planter, a leadership coach, an author of this book, More Than Enchanting, Breaking Through Barriers to Influence Your World, and chair of the board of 3DM, a ministry that seeks to put discipleship back in the hands of ordinary people like you and me where God intends for it to be. So you will please welcome to the stage, Joe Saxton. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, gosh, that's like there were three of you. I'm going to do that again. Good morning. morning. There we are. I knew we were here. Um, I actually can't see you very well. I'm blinded by your beauty. Um, So as a result, if I look like I'm frowning, I'm not at all. I'm just squinting to see if you're there. And that's it. If any of you need a nap, now is a great time because no one can see you. Just let the light, you know, and the warmth and everything. Don't drool, though, because that gets awkward for whoever's sitting next to you. Anywho, um, I have been introduced already. It's really weird as a Brit to get introduced. We just like tell you to get up stage and start talking. We don't do all that stuff. So that was quite nice. Um, thank you. I, I am also I'm married. That happened eventually. And I have two children. Um, one who is 11, about to start middle school in four weeks' time. And I'm fine about that. Really, I am. And uh, she told me when she was four, her ambition was to be a teenager. So you can just imagine how this is going to go. And then I have some of you who have teenagers are laughing a little loudly for me, just putting that out there. Um, And I um, have a nine-year-old who um, wants to be president, passionate about unicorns, and, and and feels that all of those things can merge together. She likes to wear color, preferably about 12 all at once. That is her thing. Um, married to a guy called Chris. He's also a Brit. He's a Scott and an Englishman, which means every sport in the world has to be on at all times. What a joy. Um, we, have, we have a dog, and that's all I'm going to tell you about that, because seriously, that wasn't my idea. So, um, um, so today, our topic is demystifying discipleship. Discipleship. When Jesus made disciples. It changed the course of human history. It reshaped the world. It produced the church. Discipleship was Jesus's strategy for resetting the course of how humans would function one with another, how the message that he brought to share, um, the life that he led, that was his strategy for it being shared. (laughs) This most significant thing, Jesus going to the cross, dying and rising again for each and every one of us. How did he want that communicated? Who were the people he was going to entrust that with? disciples. And when we think of his last words, even his marching orders, the phrase disciple is on his lips. So as we come to the word, why don't you just pray with me briefly, because I could say anything otherwise. Lord God, we do want to thank you that um, your word speaks even today, and we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us. 
And we thank you that your word reads our lives as well as we read it. So would you speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our imagination, and lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen. So these words, which are known as the Great Commission, um, from Matthew's Gospel, and they'll be up on the screen for you. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. These are the marching orders. If ever you're uncertain of what you need to do, what was the last thing you were told? This was some of Jesus' last words to his disciples then and his followers now. His marching orders were a call, um, and it says, therefore, go. In the Greek, it's actually, as you are going, as you're getting on with your life, make disciples. And so for those of us who are wondering what our purpose may be, what we're called to do, um, how we should get involved, we can all be sure, man, woman, and child, whatever age, ethnicity, or generation, that discipleship is something Jesus calls each and every one of us to do. And that would be wonderful if we knew what on earth he was talking about, if we understood what he meant. And so what I'd like to do is unpack it a little for us, because we can often bring a lot to discipleship that Jesus never said or did. And it's important that we grasp this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. He calls us to be his disciples. He sends us to make disciples. So what I simply want to do in our time together is look at what it means to be a disciple, then look at what it means to make disciples. And then we'll all go home and eat carbs. Oh, sorry, I was just talking to myself then. Whoops-a-daisy. Anywho, uh, so... Sorry, I just don't have boundaries. I forgot to tell you that. I should have told you that at the beginning. Um, How to be a disciple. How to be a disciple. The word disciple in the Greek is methetes. It means student or learner or apprentice. And that is good news to us because it means you don't have to be an expert. Sometimes we think discipleship is done by the really important people. You know, the special ones who know things in ancient languages. Like, that's useful for us anymore. And I do. But um, anyway, we think it's for the graduates, those of us who have got more degrees than a thermometer. They're the ones who make disciples. We think it's for the special ones. I don't know who they are. They're the ones who make disciples. When actually, um, what it says here is that a disciple is someone who's learning. Who's, who's studying, who's an apprentice. Now, when we look at the understanding of learning there, it's not just um, information. It's not just people who gather all the right things they need to know about Jesus. A disciple was someone, well, actually, let me go to the context. In the context of Jesus' world, there were a number of people who were disciples. They were following a, a teacher, a rabbi. They didn't just want to know what the rabbi knew. They didn't just want information. They wanted to be like them. They wanted to know everything about their life. One of the blessings of the day was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, that doesn't sound that nice, to be honest with you. It sounds a little dirty and sweaty. But what it actually referred to was a sense of, would you be so closely connected? Would you walk in step with them so much that as they walk through the street and the dust and bustle goes everywhere, it sticks on you? May they impact you that intimately. They were learners. They were, stu- they were students, but they learned by, by learning information, but also imitating the rabbi's life, also putting it into practice. And so as we look at what it means to be a disciple, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be learners? Are we l- willing to look at the life of Jesus? And are we willing to be people who learn how to put what he says and is and does into practice? 
because all of those things are part of discipleship. Um, best way that I, I like to describe is like this. Say I had to have a medical procedure, re- medical procedure, and um, I'm a little bit paranoid about those things, and when I say little, I mean a lot, and, um, and I, I always want the information. I go to the doctors, and I say, okay, so tell me about the procedure, and what... Um, I mean, it could be removing a wart or something, but I still need to know all the details. And I'm like, okay, tell me everything. And they tell me. And I, and, um, and, and I say, tell me what you know. And they say, well, I'm very passionate about your surgery. I've read a lot about your surgery. I've read it in English, in ancient Greek, in Hebrew, even a bit of Latin here and there. I know your surgery. I, um, I think about your surgery all the time. I don't get out much. I think about your surgery all the time. I'm passionate about it. I'm committed to it. I care about it. I talk with other people in groups about your surgery. I have one question. Have you done it, though? Because if you haven't done it, you're not touching this. You're not anywhere near this. It's like there's a difference, isn't there, between someone who's read a lot about how to drive and someone who's actually driven. Which car are you getting in, friends? Because I think it's the one who's actually done something. When we're looking at discipleship, it's good to know that it's not just how much we intellectually know, but it's also how much we've exper- we experience, shilly know. Is that a word? I think it is. How much you know by experience. How much you're putting into practice. Jesus describes it even in Matthew 7, where he talks about the difference um, between the, the foolish builder and the wise builder. One who puts, builds their life on rock, one who builds on sand. And um, he gives an example and he says that the person who's built their life on sand is like the one who hears God's word and does nothing with it. The one who builds a life on rock is the one who hears what God is saying and then puts it into practice. As we learn, it's not just in the acquisition of information, it's learning to put it into our lives and practice as well. So what exactly are disciples learning about? They're learning about Jesus. They're learning about the words of Jesus. So the information stuff is important. What he said, what he taught about, his values, what he teaches us about the world, about God, about um, the Holy Spirit, about healing, about mercy, about forgiveness, about justice, all of those things. But it's also learning about the ways of Jesus, how Jesus interacted with people, the way he um, lifted the broken, the way he touched the leper, even though apparently that made him unclean, the way he had dinner with people who were deemed sinners. And to have dinner at that time meant you showed acceptance for the tax collector for the outcast, the way he showed love, the way he was committed to justice, all of those things. Well, if we're a disciple, we're learning about that stuff. We're also learning about the works of Jesus. He came with a message proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He went to the cross and rose again. We're learning about those things and learning what it means to apply that to our life, not just to our minds. To be a disciple basically means to a learner, someone who is learning how to walk with Jesus in their everyday life. It's a living example of walking with Jesus in the day-to-day. All the things we've read about him, all the things we've learned about him. Not just acquiring information about it to go in a notebook or a journal but it's jumping off the page and being part of our daily experience. So who do you learn from? Well, we learn from the life of Jesus. 
We learn from the lives of believers throughout history and around the world who are putting it into practice. But we also learn from the lives of believers we know, particularly those we know well, who are seeking and looking to live like Jesus. And so my first question for this section is simply this. What's your next step in being a disciple, being a learner? When Jesus said, come follow me, and the word follow there is to about, um, refers to uniting yourself to God's road, being, doing life on his terms, what's your next step? Is it that you need to know more of the words of Jesus? Is it that you need to know more about the way he did things? Maybe his approach to forgiveness as opposed to yours. Is it that you need to know about the works of Jesus, the things that he's done and is still doing in this world? Where do we need to take our information and take it to heart? And who are we looking to learn from? Yes, from his life. What are we learning from other believers around us as they seek to put it into practice? What's your next step in being a disciple? Moving on. Moving on. So we know he invites us to be his disciple, but those last marching orders were about going and making them, making disciples. And so what does that look like? What does that look like for you and I? Because we don't have a kind of rabbinic method thing happening here. If anybody covers me in dust, I'm not going to be their friend right now. I I just feel it's inappropriate for us. So what does it mean to, to make a disciple here and now? You know, sometimes it's easy to look at the Bible and say, oh, Jesus, you were good at it, though, because, you know, you were Jesus. So I'm off the hook because you're the best at everything. I'm terrible. So why don't you just pretend you didn't say that to me? Amen. Moving on with my life. And, uh, and, um, and that's all well and good and everything. It just doesn't work like that. And, uh, um, because when we look at the early church and we look at these um, new believers who've taken the gospel to heart, we see them putting it into practice. They made disciples who made disciples who made disciples for generations. So we're not off the hook. We just got to work out how we do this thing. And what we see, and I'm going to read a passage from the church, about the church in Corinth, and what we see is the leaders of the New Testament trying to make sense of this rabbinic understanding in their world, trying to contextualize, trying to take this truth that Jesus has shown them, has given them, has demonstrated to them, and make it sen- make sense in their life. And out of the illustration of that, I think there's some stuff for us. So Corinth, Corinth, yeah, if you take Las Vegas, sprinkle a whole lot of London, add some L.A., a bit of New York, some Sydney, Australia. Pour over 25 cans of Red Bull, set fire to it, and you have Corinth right there. That's Corinth for you. It is wild in all kinds of ways. It loves God passionately, but it loves a whole heap of other stuff as well. And so Paul is writing to this community who have made a commitment to Jesus, but are working at how they grow, how they follow, how they learn from his life. They've got really competitive. They have their rock star believers who they follow. I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Paul. And then there's the real spiritual community who say, well, we just follow Jesus. And it's not working for any of them. And so what Paul does is he gives them an image from their world to help them understand what they need to do as they grow as disciples. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. Just off the back of the working out who they want to follow. Paul says this, I am not writing these things to shame you, 
but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Jesus, just as I teach in the churches wherever I go. Paul is using an image from the Corinthian household. When a child was born, they were in, um, in certain families, um, what would happen is that they would have a teacher. Um, what we say in that translation is a teacher. Others will call it a guardian, um, uh, the pedagogos. And that teacher taught them the base, basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic. That was their early years. Now, when that child came of age, they would stand at the shoulder of the parent of their sex and learn how to navigate their way in the world. What Paul says to these guys here is you can have 10,000 teachers, guardians, people who can give you all the basic information, reading, writing, and arithmetic, can tell you all the stuff, but you need to stand at the shoulder of somebody. Don't have many fathers. You need someone who, who you can learn from, who you can work out what it means to mature and grow in faith. And therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He says later, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then he says, I'll send you, Timothy, someone who stood at my shoulder, and he'll remind you of what I teach, the information, but also how I've learned to put this into practice. What we see here is a, is a reminder for us of how it could look for us to make disciples. Yes, there is, um, there is a need for us, a really important need for us to know the basics, to know the information about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what it means for our life. Yes. But how many of us have known that we have known all the right things, but we don't know how to forgive? We've known all the right information. We may have studied it in different languages, but we still struggle with how to spend our money and not being gripped by materialism. We've sung all the right songs, read all the right books, but we hate that person. We hate our boss. We say we struggle because that sounds nicer, but we hate them. How's your discipleship going now? <laughs> we wrestle with getting past our past. We wrestle with the anxieties of the present. We wrestle with the fears for the future. Why? Because we've got the information, but we haven't got a living example to show us how we do this, how we make this actually work. And our faith becomes more and more a distant Sunday morning hour rather than the power of God infusing our everyday life. We live under the shame of not feeling like we're good enough or feeling like we're too much for God when actually what we need is discipleship. What we need is to stand at the shoulder. And those of us who have walked with God for years or days need to recognize that there is a shoulder that we have, or even two that someone could stand at and learn from us. So how do we make disciples? Yes, you and I, we need to make sure we know his story, know what Jesus has done, know the information. But we also need to remember all the ways his story has changed our story. What has Jesus done for you? How has knowing Jesus changed your life? Did you know that your testimony, your story could be a tool in someone else's hand, could help someone as they stand at your shoulder? Maybe God brought you up from the grip of deep pain. That could help somebody else. 
Maybe your marriage your, is years and years long and it, was, it wasn't easy, but God helped you through. That could speak to somebody else. Maybe you have been through the pain of divorce or being widowed and you're still standing today and you've had your bad days, but you're here today. That could help somebody else. Maybe you've worked out how to handle money. That could help a whole heap of people. Maybe you've walked through singleness and it's frustrating and hard, but you still love God. That could help somebody. Maybe your journey, you've been able to share your faith with other people and it's, you've seen wonderful things happen. That could help somebody else. We feel we've got nothing to give because we don't know the Bible in Greek. Ancient Greek. We feel we've got nothing to offer because we don't know the aorist tense or the present continuous tense or all these other things. We don't know enough. We don't know the Hebrew. Okay, let me tell you something. No one uses it today. I mean, we do to study, and I love it. I love the languages. But when I'm talking to my friend whose marriage is broken down, she doesn't want to know what that means in Hebrew. And she doesn't want to know what it means in Greek. She wants to know if there's hope. Have any of us ever experienced hope? Have any of us ever experienced peace? Have any of us ever experienced joy? Have any of us ever been through a valley and then looked up and seen that there is hope somewhere in the future? Have any of us been devastated by life, but we are still here? Then you have a reason to have somebody at your shoulder. You have something to give and to contribute Make disciples. Let someone learn from you. No one's calling you to be a perfect example. Just a living one. Just a living one. Share your story and your life so people can see a living example of what a life with Jesus looks like. But that will require something of us. It will require that we give people access to our life. If we want to make disciples, yes, we need to know his story, but are we giving people access to that story, his story in our life? Are we giving people access to our life? thing is, as Christians, we're great liars. We're fantastic at lying. I mean, it's like a refined skill. How are you? I'm fine. I've not slept for 16 years. I'm fine. So how are things going? I hate my life. Oh, it's just a bit challenging right now, but Jesus is still on his throne. Jesus knows where he is. How are you? And part of it is we just want to present well, don't we? Who wants to go first and say their life's falling apart? We want to present well. And so we feel because we know that telling people about Jesus and discipleship is important, we want to give them our best life, show them our best self, our Pinterest life, our Instagram life. We'd rather them see our fantasy football team than the real us. Because our fantasy football team rocks, wins every time until it doesn't, but wins every time. So we'll show them the fantasy football father we are. We'll show them the fantasy football husband we are. We'll show them the Pinterest woman we are. We'll give them the filters or the veneers of hoping that we look good. Because we don't feel quite up to scratch in the real thing. In my Pinterest life, it is amazing. In my Pinterest life, my husband and I never have discussions. Because <laughs> I'm always right in my Pinterest life. In my Pinterest life, my house is beautiful. New things every season. Cushions, candles, 
weird plant things in the corner. It's a beautiful life. My house in my Pinterest life, my house cleans itself. The dust bunnies bounce out the windows. It's absolutely amazing. Welcome to my Pinterest house. I'll tell you about how great Jesus is there. In my Pinterest life, I am the perfect mother. <laughs> Ooh, anyway, in my Pinterest life, my children walk around quoting the Bible. They do not fight over beanie boos and inane things that drive me insane. In my Pinterest life, in my Insta life, the things I struggle with are dealt with completely and easily. My prayers are answered like that, always with glitter and sprinkles. In my Insta life, the filter is awesome. In my real life, well, no, let's go back to my Pinterest life because it's so much nicer. I cook, like, in my Pinterest life, I cook locally sourced meals, farm to table, with the added blessing of it speeding up your metabolism as you eat. What? In my Pinterest life. Here's the deal, though. Jesus is asking us to make disciples with our real life. Our real life where it doesn't always, where happily isn't always after. Where it doesn't always work out, but God is still faithful and true. Where we wrestle with doubt, where we wrestle with our anxieties, where we take our antidepressants in the middle of our process and our healing and our journey, and we're not ashamed because we're still utterly and completely loved. And we say, look, I don't have it all together, but this is what I've learned about how to forgive. I know those bad days when you take back the forgiveness you gave and you want to punch that person. I understand how that feels. I know those days when you work for a boss who you really don't like, but you have to because it provides for your family and it meets your needs. I get it. Stand up my shoulder and I'll help you get through. In my, in my real life, I say stand at my shoulder and say, I understand when you are trapped in the vice grip of particular addictions and you're ashamed. And I've had great months and great years and then I've had really bad days which seem to have undone everything. Stand at my shoulder. Let me guide you through. And as I tell you my story, my real story, it will break the chains of shame off yours. It will break the sense of condemnation which stalks you. And it will remind you that if God can do it with her, he can do it with anybody. It'll give you hope for your story. But we can't give people hope for their story in discipleship if we're not telling them the truth. If we're not being real. If we're not inviting people into the lives we already have. Imperfect houses and all. Imperfect lives and all and saying, this is what I'm learning about Jesus on my way. Join me. If we're so embarrassed by the great things God's done, we're not even telling people. We call it humility. And we don't talk about how great he's been to us. And so people don't always know that maybe we could pray about a couple of things, and that God actually acts. So when it comes to making disciples, my question for you is this. Who is at your shoulder? Who's at your shoulder where you're helping them navigate their way through life? It will involve your family members for sure. But is there anybody else? Is there somebody who comes to mind even now? Maybe it's just a conversation about your journey and their journey. Maybe it's a more ongoing thing. But I believe the Lord invites us to be intentional about this.
Remember at the beginning I said, if there's anything we're called to, it's discipleship. If there's anything we can be sure about while we're working out all the other wonderful things God has in mind for us, we can be sure of this. He says, make disciples. So who are you going to disciple? And it's funny, he doesn't say, when you're ready, make disciples. He doesn't say when you're sorted enough, when you're fixed enough, when you are right enough, when you know the Bible enough, when you know ancient Greek and Hebrew enough. He knew that would take an incredibly long time. Um, (laughs) He didn't say when you're enough. He said, I'm with you always. He said, I'm with you in it. I'll empower you. Why don't we do this together? You don't have to do this for me. Do it with me. But go. Go. And so to close, let me simply say this. Where do you, um, in the area of being a disciple, what's God's invitation to you right now? Is it to learn more of his words or his ways or his works? Is it to not just limit discipleship to information, but actually putting into practice the things he did? Looking at how he did things? What's your next step in being a disciple? And then for the second half, who's at your shoulder? What are the stories of your life that maybe could help somebody else? Take note of them and pray for opportunities to share them. And invite someone on a fishing trip and invite someone to watch a game with you and invite someone for a meal and talk to someone while your kids are running crazy on that climbing frame thing and nearly breaking their necks, but you're not paranoid about it at all because you're not a helicopter parent. Do that. And in the midst of your everyday ordinary life, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Teaching people everything you've learned. Share your story and his story too. Let people stand at your shoulder. Let's pray together. Father God, I do want to thank you for this wonderful community and all the wonderful stories of your goodness and your greatness that are represented here. I thank you for the things you have done. I pray for the people who would say they're still in process and a lot of stuff for where the stories aren't complete. God, would you bring grace today and mercy and compassion for where it's hard and where it hurts? Would you bring healing? Lord, would you remind them they're not forgotten? But Lord, I pray for all of us that you would show us even now who can stand at our shoulder and you'd give us courage to not invite people into our fantasy football life, not invite people into our Pinterest life or our Insta life but to invite them into real life. And Lord, may your story, in the same way in the very beginning, it transformed people from the inside out. May your story continue to transform us and those we disciple so that we could become more like you and see our world impacted by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.